Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the marketplace, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Lisa Chastain had to rewrite her money story and change her limiting beliefs surrounding money. She recounts the day she tearfully realized money coaching for millennial women was her calling. Lisa shares with us the bullet points of adulting when it comes to debt, savings, and throws the dirty word budget out the window. She advises instead to design your life. Lisa has been coaching, mentoring, and advising millennials for nearly 20 years. Her company, Millennial Consulting LLC, inspires women to be the boss of their finances and lives by teaching and mentoring them on control of money, living purposefully, and loving their lives. Her number one best-selling book, Girl, Get Your Shit Together, teaches millennial women how to own their history with more so they can boss up and own their futures. Lisa was recently featured on CNBC, O, Oprah Magazine, Fortune, and Entrepreneur. She was also recently named one of Las Vegas Women Magazine's People to Watch in 2018. Let's dig in. I am so excited to have my next guest in the studio today. I have with me Lisa Chastain, the best-selling author of Girl, Get Your Shit Together. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. I love it. And I love it. There's a dollar sign for yeah. the S. I'm like, so they can put it on the on the screen at CNBC where you were this That's past right. week. That's so, right. Like, you don't get in trouble for, <laughs> for having it up there. Right. Um, Lisa uh, lives here in Las Vegas, so it's really exciting to have her here in studio with me. And we have followed each other on social media for a little while mm-hmm. and just kind of following each other's past. And today was the first day that we met in person. Yes. So, gl- so glad to have you here. Grateful to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I really love what you're doing and, and what you're about. And I wanted to get a little bit deeper in your story mm-hmm. because I know that you are the money coach for millennials. Mm-hmm. And your book has done very well and been really well received just on CNBC talking about how hard it is to adult yes. in life yes, and how you can adult with money. Yes. So I wanted to kind of talk to you first a little bit about the backstory. Like, how did you get here and how do you decide, like, this is the group of people I want to talk to mm-hmm. and, and help them make the, the shift from, um, from spenders to savers in a way that is comfortable? Right. Well, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> okay. Give it to me. Uh, well... So I started my first, my first career was actually in higher education. Okay. So I w- worked up the ranks through my 20s as, a, as an advisor, an academic advisor at UNLV. And in 2011, I was the director of advising for the Honors College at UNLV. So that was my first journey. Mm-hmm. And I had been working with millennials. I was, I'm about 10 years older than mm-hmm. the, the students I was working with who are very typical millennials, high-achieving millennials. And I fell in love with them. And I'm still in touch with a lot of them today. So in 2011, when I left UNLV, the reason I left was that my husband and I, my ex-husband now, now at the time, have, had a three-year-old son, 
and we were burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. He was up climbing the ranks of Wolfgang Puck in town. Yes. Mm-hmm. Food and beverage is a very volatile, crazy industry. Insane. Long, long hours. Mm-hmm. And he had made the shift from server to manager to general manager. So it was a big shift for us. Mm-hmm. And for me, professionally, I was also working 50, 60 hours a week doing all that I needed to do for the Honors College. And we were really unhappy. Mm-hmm. Our marriage was in trouble. We were not healthy. Our son was very unhappy. <laughs> Even though he was three, he right. was just not a happy toddler. Yeah. yeah, we were stressed out to the max. And so I had done what I needed to do financially. We were in a great place financially. Even though we had a house underwater, we still had money saved, emergency savings, all the things that we should have done in the, in our 20s to save and prepare for our futures, we done. we had done. So when it came time to say, listen, this isn't working anymore, what do we do? I made the decision to leave UNLV and leave my career, which we thought was going to be the best move because he was he was going to be able to out-earn me very quickly in Got food it. and beverage. And, uh, and so that was the first turning point for me in my life. And basically, at, after that, after leaving, I, I fell apart. Yeah. I fell apart. Identity? Yep. Yeah. My entire identity was wrapped up in who I was at UNLV, and I didn't know who I was anymore because I was so attached to my job. Yeah. It's interesting how that happens, right? Like mm-hmm. how you attach yourself to the title that you have or the accolades that you receive. Yep. And suddenly, especially as a mom, like moving from this kind of corporate world where everyone, or not corporate, but higher yeah. ed is very, sure. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ego there. Oh, totally. <laughs> and then you're, you're moving to a toddler who mm-hmm. becomes your boss. He was my boss. <laughs> and I had that year, that same year, I had one advisor of the year. So I really left at the top of my game. Yeah. And then I, I felt isolated. I, I was at home all day. My husband was gone for very long hours. And I, my social network was gone. I really, I, I lost my sense of self. Mm-hmm. And I had to, over over a few years, ask really tough questions for myself. And it was starting with, what's my purpose? Wow, that's fun. That's the big one, right? Why am I really Why here? Am I here? <laughs> Why am I here? And Oprah was my home, my home girl. We we sat and I watched a lot of Oprah and a lot of Ellen and drank a lot of wine and cried a lot. And uh, my whole life fell apart. Quite honestly, my whole life fell apart. My husband was in and out of work. I watched my hundred thousand dollar savings account in my IRA dwindle, trying to save the marriage, trying to save the household. And uh, and also I had to decide that I needed to go back to work, yeah. that I just was not happy at home. And God love all the stay-at-home moms because I think it was the hardest thing I've ever done was stay home with my son, even though I love him so much. Yeah. Well, and I think it's it sounds like during that period of time, right, watching all of this kind of mm-hmm. self-development, self-discovery, really asking yourself, I mean, that's like – you're, you're parenting and taking care of someone, but you're also doing like deep soul right. searching work yeah. that requires almost a lot of space and quiet. And you don't always get that when you have a little person right. at you. Right. So I'm sure that that was also pretty difficult. How did you make the decision like, okay, here's my next move? Mm-hmm. Like what was, was there a moment where like it was just a flash or was it more like this is what I love or I'm interested in? How did that kind of happen? So the, the wake up call, and I write about this in my book for me, was that I was watching Oprah like one o'clock in the afternoon, couldn't wait for my son to to take a nap, <laughs> pour my glass of wine, yeah. and have me time. Yeah. And it was like a light went off. And I realized, I was like, what am I doing? What it, 
I don't even, this is not the life that I was meant to live. I have so many big dreams. And that was my wake up call to say, okay, let's, it's time to get into action again and, mm-hmm. and really say, okay, do I go back to higher education? What do I do? And, um, and I, and I really had to start pulling through job descriptions. I put my resume out there to see what was, who was going to bite. And I had done so much career advising as an advisor, I knew how to take the right steps to get LinkedIn going and start to position myself and network and all of those things. And I got an email from um, from Farmers Insurance of all things. Mm-hmm. And the, the email came across, basically, we had seen your resume, we think you'd be great, you could earn up to $400,000 a year. And my head went, huh, <laughs> how, how much? Right. <laughs> Insurance? Everybody needs insurance. Yeah. Okay. And I called my best friend who um, is still a financial advisor. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? And she said, well, why don't you just come join me and be a financial advisor? And I said, okay. I think, one, I, I love to advise. I'm right. a great advisor. I love coaching people. Yeah. And money's really important. Yeah. So that was the first step into the money industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me because that's the industry that I left. Yeah. You know, and I was working with ultra high net worth. And people don't realize it's 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 a good and a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of security within that field mm-hmm. if you do it right, right? And right. if you're good at what you're doing and you advise from a place of um, you're not running after the paycheck, right. right? You're there for the purpose of helping people live their best financial lives. Yes. Um, so how did you get started? Did she, you come, did she come in and help you? Like, did you have a book? Did you kind of cold call clients? Like, how did that look? I, it was, it was, a, um, I first, I started firstly to assist her mm-hmm. just to get in and learn the language. And so just a backstory for me is that I knew nothing about money. Yeah. I, I was just a good saver. Mm-hmm. And we hired her as our financial advisor in our 20s. So she told us what to do. Yeah. So thankfully, we did that. So we had money. Uh, but I really knew nothing about money. So when I started taking my test, which was the first step, getting my insurance license, going for my series license, mm-hmm. it was like learning a new language. Yeah. And it took me a lot, a, a lot of hours. And, and I failed my test several times mm-hmm. <laughs> vulnerably <laughs> it's not it was not easy for me because I didn't grow up around money right I didn't grow up around people with money mm-hmm. and it was a very foreign world to me uh, so I just for a few years continued to climb and read and learn and learn learn the language and learn how to fill out the applications and learn what accounts are what and and then eventually I got my series 65 and started trying to get my own clients Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. I remember when I did my licensing, it was um, the it, – it's like – it's just memory, right? Yeah. Because it's not – until you're actually advising, until you're actually working with someone, right. you're just kind of memorizing and understanding conceptually yes. what the market looks like, right? And then it's not until you're actually in it and you're starting to work with people, you're like, oh – like there's an entire there's a fluidity to mm-hmm. it I think and it depends on every single person that's in front of you and all of their situation. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So how how was it when you first started taking people on? It was really difficult. It was really difficult only because my 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 partner and I who was my best friend, we were great friends but we were not great business partners. Mm. We were not getting along in the business setting. It was her practice, it was, you know, her trying to build and me trying to support her. And, and it wasn't a fit for us together. So there was a lot of friction yeah. in, in the whole process of me trying to build my own 
my own clientele. Mm-hmm. I had people who love me, who trust me, who wanted to work with me. And so it was it was very difficult for me to attract clients for myself because I was still working under her. And so that just there was confusion internally. Yeah. And uh, and so once I had a few clients, I loved working with them. I loved looking at the numbers. I loved learning. I was working with millionaires yeah. and seeing how they managed their money, seeing how they put money in different accounts and different investment portfolios. Intellectually, I was feeling really challenged and it was really fun. Um, but I also, I think I struggled most because I do not, I, I was so uncomfortable working around people with money. So that was my money story that people with money scared me and I wasn't comfortable because that's not where I came from. And I had my own limiting beliefs about what that looked like. And and so I had my own internal hurdles to pass. And I was failing. Ultimately, I was failing because of, of all of that. That's really interesting to me because like I, I came from very poor. Yeah. And I, I stumbled into the finance industry. Like mm-hmm. It was not purposeful on my part at all. Mm-hmm. But then once I started getting paid for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, this provides me with security and with safety, yes. right? There's something here. And I don't know that I loved, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it, but I loved helping people mm-hmm. figure things out. And I think one of the things that helped me working with millionaires was I got to see an intellectual difference mm-hmm. in the way people think, right? I'd come up with, you know, A, A plus B equals C. This is the way things should look like in life. And when you work with entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and millionaires, you're like, wow, like there's an entirely different way of looking at the world. Sure. And I think it inspired me more than anything. It was probably one of the things that um, got me to a place where I was ready to make a leap myself, mm-hmm. where I was like, I could stay here and be a W-2 employee or I could create, you know, right. and do it in a really smart and intelligent way. And I think at that point, like you have the skill set then and the knowledge base where you're like, okay, well, I've got a foundation mm-hmm. from which to grow from. Um, so you had a hard time at first. I did. You failed because of your own limiting beliefs about money. Yes. What did you do to fix that? What did you do to move through it? I had to realize also, so one of the reasons I worked with, I started, I joined my friend and her firm was that I wanted to help millennials and I was really passionate about, I still am sustainable investing. Mm -hmm. And so I was working with the firm to try to create a culture and some portfolios and some ways for young people to to learn about socially responsible investing. And so when we do the research in the market, we know millennials are really, really interested in that. That's important to them. I just couldn't figure out with my firm how to make it all work because they had been in the industry for years. And I here I am, this young, you know, young buck. Idealistic, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Trying to buck the curve. And and so it just didn't, it didn't happen fast enough for me. And I was running out of money. I was basically using my 401k to fund my life. My yep. husband was in and out of work to try to start my business. And I was running out of time and I was starting to feel pretty desperate. Like mm-hmm. I have to figure this out. Um, I had given it a good few years and I was an independent it was really important to me that I was independent because I left UNLV saying I'll never be a W-2 employee again. So I was committed. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to just like stomp your feet like I won't work for anyone else. I won't. And and so and I was super committed, but I was running out of time. I was running out of money. And I started to look outside of my firm to say, I need help. Mm -hmm. 
I, I have to figure this out because yeah. one, I'm not willing to give up, but I really don't know what else to do at this point. Well, the structure wasn't working, right? It and wasn't. so sometimes that's what happens. Like you've got kind of a vision that's bigger than the surroundings, right? So you kind of have to bust through the walls and be like, sure, right, maybe I got to create this myself. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So what happened was I, I found a coach mm-hmm. who at that time was talking to me. I felt like she was talking to me. She's like, if you're a financial advisor who's struggling, you're working in a male-dominated industry, you need to figure out systems for yourself. I said, yes, that's me. I raised my hand and I scheduled a call. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't making any money at the time, I didn't think she would let me hire her, honestly. Really? I was taking a leap of faith to say, hey, I need help and I'm willing to invest. That wasn't the problem. I just, tell me what to do. I need to make money. Yeah. Honestly. And I know that a lot of people listening are probably going, yes. (laughs) At a certain (laughs) point, ideas are great, but you have to make money for a business to thrive. And so I called her and we hit it off and she had been a money coach before she was coaching entrepreneurs, but she had been a financial advisor who figured out some systems that were working. And so I hired her. I threw down my last 10 grand Mm -hmm. and I said, help. I love it. Help. So what was the big takeaway from that relationship? I'm still working with her. Okay. I'm still working with her. How long has it been? uh, Three years. I have a coach that I've been with for two. Like yeah. once you find someone who's yeah. like starts to move you to that best direction of yourself, you're like, wait, you're like my, they're your your soul family at that she point. She is. <laughs> she is. Now I don't need her for the same things I needed her for back then. Right. But I know I can call her on a dime. Yeah. So when when I got to my first event with her, it was another turning point for me. I realized that I didn't love being a financial advisor, but I loved helping people with money. Yeah. So she did an exercise with me. She stood me up in front of the room and she said, close your eyes. And she said, you're in front of a room and you're talking about what? And I said, money. And she said, you're talking to who? And I just started crying. Aww. Tears started flowing. I said, millennial women, yeah. young women. Yeah. I want to inspire them because I had my own journey with money and I can't think of anything more important than inspire inspire young women mm-hmm. to take their lives on. I love it. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, you came from a place where you were you're working with millennials. I have a I have a soft spot for millennials myself. I'm Gen X. Yeah. And so we were studying millennials from my firm trying to understand how they think and buy and give from a philanthropic perspective. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting and like I used to have this other advisor and we would like they would always put us together to give these huge speeches. Yeah. And he would talk about why we need to pay attention to baby boomers because the generational passing of wealth. And I'm like, they're great and everything. <laughs> but let's talk about millennials. Let's. Because they, I mean, the way they look at the world is so different than any of the generations that came before them. And there is a desire to really make change mm-hmm. with their money. I, I'm totally into socially responsible investing. I just don't think that the marketplace and the kind of old school way of investing is has taken to it. Yet. There's entire, though, communities. Like, I've traveled throughout the country, and, like, Denver's really getting it down, and D.C. is doing mm-hmm. a really great job. And there's these pockets of, of places where they're like, we've got this millennial incubation kind of thing where – not only are we investing responsibly, but we're also doing microfinancing and we're doing this and we're doing that because right. they believe and think differently. So we were like, let's study this. Let's mm-hmm. understand because if we don't, we're going to basically like put ourselves out of the market. Correct. As our as our older generations pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, from that moment when you're standing in front of the room and you're like, I'm crying, I want to work with millennial women, I want to move this forward, did that immediately put you in that kind of like, okay, 
comp- like the the vision and the idea of doing the money coaching and the book did that all just come to you or was it a process an organic process from there it was a process because at that point in the financial industry I was pretty much told I wouldn't make a whole lot of money working with millennials yeah I had already decided to leave my firm I just had to decide to leave the financial industry mm-hmm. as it was yeah and so that was the first decision to make and I said okay I'm gonna do money coaching and then what? <laughs> yeah. How do I do that, right? Um, there, there aren't any money coaching programs out there specifically for women. So I relied on my coach. She already had some tools and systems. I started using those. Mm-hmm. I went out and started talking to my already very warm group of millennial women who were around me. Mm-hmm. And I did focus groups. And I said, what do you want? What do you need? I had already been a life coach, so the life coaching part wasn't very hard. It was just incorporating financial concepts. And so for the last three years, I've been testing different systems. I had a group program where the women were, you know, they joined me for six months, and I coached them on not just their money, but really living their best lives. Mm -hmm. And when I asked my coach about a year into it, I said, okay, what do I do? How do I get this message out? I'm so passionate about it. I get it now. I understand what they need. I understand that what I offer and how I talk about money is different from anything else on the market right now. And she said, you need to write a book. Oh, I love it. And I said, no. Why? <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> it's just like it's like anything else that you've never done before. It seems very difficult and long. And it wasn't that it wasn't that at all. But yeah. Yeah. It was scary. Well, I think like the first time, like so you're sitting there with a blank page and an idea and you're kind of like, Ugh, this seems like a mountain yeah. to climb, right? And then um you did a really great job i mean thank you you've got great reviews best-selling book you're being seen as this money coach to millennials and giving Mm -hmm. great advice um how long did it take you to write the book start to finish six months really Mm -hmm. wow that's fantastic Mm -hmm. that's fantastic you were dedicated i it took me a little bit over a year Mm -hmm. did you ever have any points during the book where you're kind of like you question any of it or you were you had to kind of dig into some of your own beliefs about money or I, I realized like at a certain point in my book like I actually had to do some research to be like what do I think about this subject because right. for you to really be present and offer advice you can't skip over certain things right and so I had to do some self-searching maybe that's why it took me a little over a year maybe I know I know for me that the, the the concepts were there for me yeah I had already developed some of the concepts. I know how to transform. I Well, first of all, I had to literally transform and go through the process myself. Right. And through that, I mean, I blew my life up. I got a divorce. In the same year that I wrote my book, I got a divorce, sold my house. My whole life looks completely different. And so I was a pl- really real time applying the concepts of my book mm-hmm. to my own life. And I was sharing my own stories in that in that journey and then with my clients right alongside me who were doing the same thing the the hardest part for me was getting the stories right telling the stories right and I know that you're you know you're all about that your book's all about that because that's what's most important to me yeah Mm -hmm. I think that there's some kind of it's it's kind of funny because people I think the old school way of looking at any type of self-development has been like these people have all of the answers (laughs) <laughs> right. They know everything, right? <laughs> right? And you don't you want them to like you imagine them to be perfect and all of the people I know in self-development now are like I went through some hard stuff. Yes. I figured it out and 
I want to bring you along on this journey because I don't think it ever really ends, right? Our relationship with self, our relationship with money, our relationship with success. Mm -hmm. There's always something that's we're unraveling or a layer to be found mm -hmm. through a new relationship or a new job or a new experience. And so it's I, one of the things I love most right now is all of the people I know in self-development will share their struggles mm -hmm. on the – like in the moment mm -hmm. you know and they're not embarrassed by them they're not like oh, oh i'm seen as this so i can't have flaws Correct. and i think it's one of the things that people are probably more connected with now in this age of self-discovery right not the guy who's going to stand up at the top of the stage and be like i figured out life but the one's like i went through some shit yeah <laughs> and i've created some tools yes and i'm probably going to go through some more things but now i have better tools correct yeah correct and that's what i would say that distinguishes millennials the, the, the generation of millennials from boomers and from uh, Gen Xers is transparency. Yeah. They have a bullshit meter. I love it. They get it. Yeah. And that's where the socially responsible investing, we haven't figured all of that out yet. Yeah. But millennials want things to be transparent. Yeah. And they value that, I think, more than any other generation. Yeah. No, I would totally agree. And I, I get excited. Like, people are always like, oh, aren't you worried about the future and everything that we see? And I was like... I'm hopeful for the future mm -hmm. because I see the spending, buying, and um, philanthropic kind of efforts of the next two generations of millennials and Gen Z. Right. I'm really excited about Gen Z. A lot of people are like, oh, they only know how to look at their phones. And not true. They are. They are more socially and globally aware by the time they're able to vote right. than I was by the time I was like 25 or 30. Mm -hmm. Like. I, I just think that their like their access to information in some ways emboldens and empowers them. Yes. And I think we miss that. We're we're too busy being like, oh, they don't know how to relate. And I'm like, oh, I think they're asking us to step it up. I think they are. And also if you look at it statistically, so that the silent generation, which is the boomers before or the before they were the parents of the boomers, mm -hmm. seventy two percent of the silent generation was white. Mm. It's only 56% for millennials. Yeah. So we have a very diverse. diverse group of people, and they, they value one another. They value one another's ideas. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're more global. Yeah. So Gen Z is going to be even – it probably is already more diverse. Yeah. Right. No, I'm excited. I'm excited to see because I think the millennials are starting to move into more positions of power because they're like in their late 30s now. So you're starting to see them take on more board leadership roles, take on more executive leadership mm -hmm. roles. And so I'm kind of like, I'm curious to see what the next 10 years yes. looks like. I think it's actually we're heading in a really great direction um, just because there's just a different mindset. It's less patriarchal. Mm -hmm. um, less, well, this is the way we've always done it. And more like, well, I'm going to challenge that because mm -hmm. it hasn't worked. So I kind of love that about them. I do too. Um, I'm so I really want to like provide advice okay. to the listeners because yep. I've got you here. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I was watching your thing about adulting, and I think one of the things that most people get nervous about is the word budget. Ugh, I hate that word. It's a terrible word. Mm -hmm. And like you have all of these tools on like all of um, the banking and finance websites that are like, oh, here we'll provide you with budgeting tools. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, I don't want to see. I actually was talking to somebody about this recently. She's in a miserable place. Mm -hmm. She's completely upended her life. Um, she had an idea for a business, but she doesn't necessarily have the business acumen. Mm -hmm. Did the same kind of thing. Pulled out retirement. I'm going to fund it. But um, now is in a situation where she's like, I have maxed out my credit cards. Mm -hmm. I run out. I've run out of money. And I'm like, okay, you need to get clear on what you have and what your options are. Because a lot of times we feel like we don't have options, right? right. Well, do you have a house that you could sell? Do you have, like, what do you have available to you? 
and she's like I'm afraid to look mm-hmm. I'm afraid to actually dig in and look mm-hmm. so I'm curious like talk to me about your perception of budgeting and planning and knowing what you have um as a, as a younger person mm-hmm. or a person coming up um and relationship with money sure first thing I want your listeners to know is that they're not alone Mm-hmm. Because I think that the con- you know the idea of money, when we go through money challenges specifically, we isolate mm-hmm. because we're ashamed and because no one walks around telling what telling each other what their net worth is. We don't talk about that openly in our society. Or debt, yeah. Or debt, how mm-hmm. much debt you own. So you're not alone. I work with women all day long who are struggling and who just clearly don't know. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that you can always start over when it comes to money. It's not a done deal. So we can't divorce ourselves. We can't divorce our relationship with money. That's an ongoing process. But it's always about elevation. So no matter where you're at, you can always improve your situation. It may require renegotiation. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that we don't necessarily want to do. So for example, so that's my first piece of advice is you have to be willing to renegotiate your life for your dreams. And for me, that was me selling my house last year. And I cried and cried and cried because I did not want to sell my house. I still miss it so much. Mm -hmm. But it was one of the things I had to do to help my business, to help my clients, to get my life moving in a new direction. Mm -hmm. So be willing to renegotiate. The second thing is you have to be willing to look at it. But drop the budget. budget. A budget works when you know your money and when you have clear goals and you know how to plan your money. But you can't budget anything if you don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Just like you can't meal plan if you don't know why you would be meal planning. It makes no sense. So you have to take a step back. And here's the easiest way to to look at your money. It's three numbers, (laughs) which I typically don't talk about numbers. You have to know what you make every month. I'm not talking about gross salary. That's how we do. That's how we're delusional. Like, oh, I make one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year. No, you don't. After taxes, it's not that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what's coming in every single month, what's literally landing in your bank account every single month, that's the first place to start. I love it. Well, because you're right. I mean, I feel like we use our salaries and our incomes as like, well, I got it. But you don't take into account any hybrid retirement contributions, your insurance, your taxes, all of those things. All of that. And then you kind of, I've seen so many people get in so much trouble because they think that they've gotten a promotion and a pay raise, and Mm -hmm. so they go out and they buy a a new car. (laughs) Oh, I bought a Rolex when I was 30. (laughs) You're like, look at me now. (laughs) What was I thinking? Right. Right, yeah, I got a $5,000 raise and went and bought a Rolex, which pretty much was was the whole raise. And plus, right? <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, well, not crazy because I've done – so I've done similar stuff, right? Like when I was going through my divorce, um, I wanted so badly to keep my house. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to keep my house. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful and it was huge and I was on a third of an acre, which here is insane. Right. And I had this imagined you know, thing like my daughter is going to grow up here. And then I realized how much I was spending mm-hmm. to keep that house afloat. Right. And I – that was devastating, selling yeah. it and then downsizing. Downsizing so much that you so have to much. get rid of, like, so much stuff. So much. But I am so – I'm so grateful that I did that because it put me on a very different trajectory. Correct. And I, played, I, I was um, – you know, I had a great job doing well, but life happens. Mm-hmm. Divorce happens. Job loss happens. Those things happen. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to be like, all right, well, my life is – 
I got to get clear on it. So I love that. So it's a matter of really being willing to like commit to yourself to like know your numbers. You have to know what you make. And then you have to know what you spend. Mm. And that's the number people don't want to look at. Tell me about that. Oh, my gosh. So uh, most women that I work with, even men, honestly, I work with successful people, not attached to what you do for a living, and it's not attached to how you make what, what you make, how little or how much. But so many people are not clear about what their actual expenses are. Mm-hmm. And when I say expenses, there's the fixed expenses. It's the bills that you pay every single month that if you don't pay them, there's going to be a consequence, a late fee or something. And what gets a lot of households in trouble, like we were just talking about renegotiating and downsizing, is if you don't understand the difference between what you make and what your fixed expenses are, a lot of times your fixed expenses, you're just over leveraged in life. You've got too many fixed expenses. The reason people end up in debt is then there's all these variable expenses that they don't plan for. Mm -hmm. So someone will go to buy a house. This is how people got in trouble in 2008 is you go to buy a house and you qualify because you can afford the mortgage. But what you don't realize is that if you're making $5,000 a month and your mortgage is $2,500 a month, no matter how good your credit is, you're not going to have enough money to save, to spend. It goes fast. So you have to know what your fixed expenses are and what that total is every month. Mm-hmm. And then what's what are your variable expenses? How much does it cost to get your hair done? Mm-hmm. How much do groceries cost? I see families spending so much money eating out. So they're spending $1,000 a month on groceries, and they're spending $1,000 a month on eating out. Mm-hmm. That adds up. Yeah. And that's how you end up in debt. Yeah. And then what's left over? So what do you make? What are your expenses? Mm-hmm. Subtract that. What's left over? That is the simplest way in a very quick, like month to month scenario to understand what's really going on. Talk to me a little bit about um, your surplus money because I, I remember, I've, I've read it in your book, I saw it on your interview where you talked about having a separate account for the money that you spend mm-hmm. on yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that include the haircuts and the things like that or that those remain in the fixed bucket and then the eating out and the pedicures are in the separate account? Like how do you how do you manage that? I. I set this up so for for you listening, there are there's kind of no wrong way to do this because every household spends differently. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is what's most important, and I recommend three accounts, but to keep it simple, we'll say you need to have an account for just the money that you pay your bills. So you can deposit money into that account and pay your bills out of that account. Mm-hmm. And then whatever's left over, which takes a little time to understand after each paycheck comes in, what's left over, mm-hmm. should go out into a spending account. Mm-hmm. And spending accounts, you can operate in a couple in, in, in a number of ways, but there should always be money in a spending account for groceries and for gas. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to get places and we need okay. to get Okay. Yeah. That's happening whether you realize it or not. You have to eat and you have to drive or have transportation. Mm-hmm. There can be another, like a third account for the variable stuff. So mm-hmm. clothing, makeup, mm-hmm. um, entertainment, those types of things. But that's such an easy way. My clients, as soon as they do that, they feel so much more relieved. Yeah. Because all you really then have to do once it's set up, which it takes time, it takes a few months when I work with clients to get the system moving mm-hmm. but one of my clients this morning told me she said oh my gosh I feel like I'm in so much more control yeah and that I know when I want to go make make a purchase if I have money or if I don't yeah yeah 
I actually opened an account after I saw your. You did. <laughs> yes. Yay. Well, because I'm, you know, my life is changing, right? Yeah. So, like, I know exactly what comes in. I know exactly what my expenses are. Right. But, you know, I sometimes you're like, oh, I want to get this and I want to do that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, my car needs breaks right <laughs> I didn't budget that in right <laughs> and so you have these moments where you have those kind of variable expenses so I'm like oh, I'm gonna make sure that mm-hmm. I kind of do this talk to me a little bit about saving mm-hmm. and if someone's listening who has debt mm-hmm. that it has them kind of crawling under a table right now sure well the first thing that people want to do in my experience when they have debt is fix the debt. They want to mm-hmm. consolidate. They want to bail out. A lot of my clients will come to me after they've refinanced their home. Mm-hmm. So they're sitting on thirty, forty thousand dollars going, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. So before you can fix debt, you have to have a handle on what you make, what you spend, mm-hmm. and what's left over. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not in control of those things, you'll end up back in debt. Got it. So we the debt's the pain. We want to stop the pain. We want to stop the interest and the phone calls and all of that. But in order to pay down debt, first of all, you have to put your cards on ice. Yep. You have to stop spending on credit cards. You have to literally treat it as a past event. If you're really committed to getting out of debt, it's in the past. Mm-hmm. It has to stop at a certain point. Yeah. Once that behavior has stopped, then you can start taking a little bit of the money that's left over every month and chunking down debt with it. But this is what I tell clients is you didn't get in debt overnight. You will not get in out of debt overnight. There is no quick fix. No right. one's going to come and bail you out, even though the government, you know, there's all these debt relief programs. Yeah. If you don't have a control on your spending, you won't ever get out of debt. Yeah. Yeah. What do you recommend people use credit cards for? Points. Points. Yes. So they're using it just to get the points, but it's basically, it, it's it's almost like that spending account. They're putting money in the spending account, they get the points, and then they pay the credit card off Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That, I mean, especially for millennials, if you're listening to anybody, it's free money. Yeah. It's free money if you use it wisely. Yeah. But they're banking on the fact that you're not going to pay it off and that they're going to get interest. For sure. Uh-huh. And the, some of the interest rates are just, re- like twice all when that's 25% yeah. the other day. Great points, but at 25%, they're smart, right? And it's a matter of you being willing to not – sometimes we don't pay attention to the credit cards, and we're like, oh, I've got all this extra money. And one of my friends shared with me her biggest advice was, um, if you don't have the cash, you can't afford it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's how wealthy people live. Mm -hmm. They use credit cards for points and for perks. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you're going to travel the world, they're a lot safer. Yeah. You don't want people accessing your cash accounts. But um, but yeah, it, but that that can't happen. So I tell all of my clients that can't happen until everything's under control, yeah. and there's been like balance restored to the force, yeah, <laughs> right. And then you can start using credit cards again responsibly. So with that said, mm-hmm. curious, you know, ever since I was 19 years old, I had um, a contribution to my 401k. Correct. So out of my check every month, never even noticed it. Yeah. Did some stupid stuff through my 20s where I was in – but I was still putting money into my 401k. Sure. Okay. Um, I got into a couple of, of times where I was in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I canceled my contributions for maybe, like, six months mm-hmm. just because I needed to cover something. Um, what do you – what's your thought process on people saving for retirement or, or saving generally – when they're in these situations should they mm-hmm. stop making their retirement contributions should they stop saving while they pay down the debt mm-hmm. and then or do you need to put that in there as part of the overall picture i would say it applies to every individual situation is different mm-hmm. but generally if you're not saving in other places and the only place you're saving is a 401k 
take my story to heart Mm -hmm. that when I ran out of money that's the only place that I could go yeah and I don't think that that's a great saving strategy all all around Mm -hmm. I think that if you are going in a debt you don't have money to cover your life expenses you don't have money in an emergency reserve we've got to get control of those things first so if you're contributing two hundred dollars three hundred dollars a month in your ira or your mm-hmm. 401k you can temporarily suspend that and get those get money stocked up mm-hmm. get your life back in order mm-hmm. get things working again and then start contributing again because it's a cash flow problem yeah it's a cash flow problem so i i'm an advocate for that because because what will happen Mm-hmm. When they're not in control, they're going to end up borrowing from their 401k. Yeah. And they're, then they're paying themselves back anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, when they get to a place where they've paid down debt, they're using credit cards responsibly. Mm-hmm. They know what they've got. They're like, good. <laughs> good. What, is there like a number um, or a percentage that they should be putting aside? Well, experts will tell you it's 20%. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the, the best thing that you can do is get a get a life plan together. Mm-hmm. So I call it DYL, design your life. Mm-hmm. And once you've designed your life, know what it's going to cost you to get there. Got it. So if you want to retire, so a lot of millennials will say, oh yeah, I can make a million dollars and I'm going to retire on a beach when I'm 50. Well, how much does that actually take? Right. So it's not necessarily a percentage, but it's knowing you have a financial goal. Mm-hmm. What is it and how long is it going to take you to get there? And then you can understand monthly what you should be stocking, um, putting in different accounts and, and saving strategically. I love that. And one of the things I learned, especially in my career, um, what sounds like a lot of money, million dollars is not a lot of it's money. It's not. It is not a lot of money. I, I don't know how many uncomfortable conversations I had to have with people where I said you are going to outlive your money Mm -hmm. because of your spending pattern. And I had a client, a couple of them got contracts where they would suddenly have a liquidity event of 30 million plus. So they bought everyone they knew a house. Wow. Bought cars. And I'm like, you're going to be with me for three years before I'm telling you that you're bankrupting. Right. You know, like you can't, you can't spend at this level. So I think that's another thing to be really aware of Mm -hmm. is that sometimes the number that you have in your head mm-hmm. that sounds like a big number, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's that number forever. You no, know, like you can blow through it really fast. Absolutely. And that's where education is so important. And whoever is listening, what's most important is that you start to understand how money really works. Mm-hmm. That $100,000 is not $100,000 over time if it's not invested properly. These are all the things that I had to learn over time painfully to become a financial advisor because it's not easy. But that's where the tribe is really important, surrounding yourself around people who maybe you don't get it, but if you stretch outside your comfort zone a little bit to ask the right questions, Mm -hmm. that over time you'll start to understand and I don't know is not a good answer. Yeah. I don't know keeps us in that in that cycle. And uh, and that's why my book is Control Your Money, Live Purposefully, and Love Your Life. Because yeah. that's what I want, is you to wake up every day and be in love with your life. But you have to know what it costs you to do that. I love that. It's so funny because as you're talking, like we're very aligned in the way that we're approaching our the people who are reading our books mm-hmm. or coming to our message, right? Like it's know yourself, know <laughs> yes. your stuff, right? You have to kind of uncover all of the old messaging. Mm-hmm. I talk about messaging a ton, like the social generational cultural programming. You're talking about your messaging around money, yeah, right? Like how are we entering life or career or relationships 
um, and what is also what is our relationship with money look mm-hmm. like and there's such freedom once you get clear once you answer mm-hmm. those unanswered questions and you kind of get clear on what your where, where you stand and like what your your plans are and I love that idea of, of creating a life plan I want to ask you a couple of questions that I ask everybody okay first question is based on all of your life experiences um if you could give any advice to your younger self, if you could imagine a younger version of yourself, what age, what does she look like, and what does she need from you? What do you need to say to her? Mm. I get deep. You're going to make me cry. Oh. <laughs> um, how old was she? Yeah. I would tell my 15-year-old self mm-hmm. to be wise about the people that I surround myself with. Mm. And I I had a really hard time. So I teach this I teach this to my my clients now, my people now that we invest in three ways: money, time, and people. Mm-hmm. And I was so lost like a lot of teenagers, but I had a lot of self-confidence and I let other people rock it. Yeah rock my self-confidence and had I chosen more wisely the people that I surrounded myself with I think that my my self-love would have been a lot different Mm -hmm. but I I was I just it felt like at that time I was in a whirlwind of life and I created some very painful things for myself that weren't necessary had I just chosen to go home read a book or choose different friends yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, in any of those times did you have like an inkling that they weren't good for you or? Oh yeah, you did absolutely. It's funny how we know, right? Yeah. You kind of know. Yeah. But for some reason, we we choose the lessons sometimes. I'm a rebel. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I want to have the hard experience so I can have something to write about, right? Exactly. I think that that's ultimately what it was. Is that I had I had to learn the hard lessons and that I'm strong enough to to see them through. But yeah, there's certain things that happened to me when I was young that looking back at it, once my other people in my life found out about it, they came to me for advice. Mm -hmm. So for example, I got an STD when I was a kid Mm. and it was a very difficult, painful experience. I was class president at the time, Mm. very popular. Everybody found out. Oh my God. And looking back, I have had so many women come to me now over time who have found themselves in the same situation. Mm-hmm. So there's purpose to the pain. Yeah. Uh, but I certainly wish I wouldn't have made some of those choices. Yeah. No, it's – it's. someone asked me one time, they're like, if you look back over, and I'm like, I made some really bad decisions. Mm-hmm. I've actually had to unwind some stuff that happened 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I would change – it yeah you know what I mean like I don't know even though like you regret or you wish you could have in that moment Mm -hmm. you kind of look back and you're like but I'm good Mm -hmm. you know and you've been a beacon for other people right right um with those life experiences and the things that you've um experienced if you could leave one nugget like a gold nugget of wisdom or inspiration when you leave this planet Mm -hmm. one thing that you left behind for people to know what would it be be true to yourself Mm. be true to yourself Slow down, spend time getting to know yourself, listen to the whispers, as Oprah would say, Mm -hmm. and I believe, which has also gotten me in trouble in my life, but people are good. Yeah. I believe that the majority of people on this planet 
are good Mm -hmm. and your listeners are good. And if they just took the time to slow down, listen to themselves, they would do amazing things on this planet. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It's a matter of um, also being your best advocate, right? Mm -hmm. Once you listen to yourself, you start actually advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's like such alchemy in, in what comes from really kind of getting quiet, knowing, creating space between you and people that shouldn't be in your life. Right. And, and, and building it, designing, like you said, designing your life. Yep. Design your life and love. Love is the language for everyone. At the Mm -hmm. end of the day, I really believe that love is what we're all after anyway. Yeah. So if we woke up and chose that every single day, what could be different? Yeah. Oh, I love it. So beautiful. (laughs) I am so appreciative that you came down and you gave us some like really great advice (laughs) I have a feeling I'm gonna get some feedback on this one awesome so how can people reach you if they have questions or if they want to follow what you're doing where can they find you Uh, they can find me on twitter Mm -hmm. at money coach c I I share on twitter every day what I'm up to my facebook page is facebook.com forward slash money coach c I'm on there a lot. I share a lot of vulnerable stories. Same thing. I want people to know that they're not alone. Yeah. And my website is lisachastain.com. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here in studio today, what you're doing, and um, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Lisa's advice is brilliant in its simplicity. It's a whole lot of accountability and the brave act of removing your blinders, love. Get clear on what you have, what you want, and you can move financial mountains. I'll never forget her charge. I want everyone to wake up and love your life, but you have to know what that life costs you. You can find Lisa on Twitter at MoneyCoachC or IG at LisaChastain4. Pick up her book, Girl, Get Your Shit Together on Amazon. Lisa and I talk about doing deep work to uncover your messaging, which is the cardinal point of my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future. Get into the work with me. Lore is available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you want some help moving toward that intentional life, join me every week on my intention journey. I'm inviting you totally free from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my girl tribe at JeanetteSchneider.com and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. Intentional living is where it's at, y'all. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.